0: For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for, um, yeah, thank you for everybody who's gathered here Um, In person, thank you for everybody who's um, gathered in their homes or wherever they may be on Zoom. Uh, Father, I do pray that you would speak to us, that you would um, just kind of reveal many things, not just about Peter, this person, but more so about yourself, about your love, about your relationship to all of us as we are disciples in the same way but different as Peter was also a disciple. May we, uh, may, may you just work well and, and kind of like unlock and soften the areas of our hearts that need to be ministered to. Lord, may I myself decrease so that you might increase, that my words may not get uh, intermingled in the way that would corrupt what you're trying to speak, but that you may just speak purely through me as a vessel. Um, we pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. I've recently been... Uh, I feel like one of the best ways or, what, or worst ways to start a conversation is to say, I've been listening to a podcast lately, but I'm going to do it. I've been listening to a podcast lately. And it's, it's, it's probably a podcast that many people would hate, but I really love it. It's called Hardcore History. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a podcast. Yeah, there we go. It's a podcast that it's these like, Four, five, six hour long episodes, and it's one person talking the whole time, and he's just unfolding these like incredible like storytelling, like breaking down these big historical events. Some people might absolutely just despise these, but I just eat through them like they're candy. I just, I love them so much. It's really, really great. But I've been listening to one lately that was about what uh, historians called the Atomic Age. And the Atomic Age is what they call basically the period in history after the U.S. first dropped the atomic bomb, two atomic bombs actually, on Japan to end World War II. See, a lot of us, when we think about that time in history, we think this was like the closing of the book. Like once we dropped the bomb, everyone just kind of threw their hands up and said, okay, we surrender, we're done, we're done. But in reality... This was a huge deal in world history. Never before had someone had had, had a single country had this much. Firepower and this much ability with their weaponry not just to damage a country but to like level a country and only the U.S. at this time was privy to this kind of power and so the, the whole world politics scene was like a buzz and it basically settled into the Cold War where the U.S. and Russia almost destroyed the world a few times um, but when This first happened when these bombs first fell and then all of a sudden there's this intense political pressure on our president. Our president was Harry Truman. And the author of this podcast kind of lovingly calls Harry Truman the haberdasher from Kansas City. Like not really like the political savant, not really uh, the the war strategy general. He was just kind of this dude. who was very politically savvy, and he was the vice president to FDR, but he was never elected president. He died, FDR died, and then Truman found himself in this position, and then they discovered the bomb, and they used the bomb, and all of a sudden, the weight of potential world destruction is on the shoulders of this haberdasher from Kansas City, and it's just incredible when I think about it, and as I was thinking of it, it made me like envision like Harry Truman just like in a moment of isolation, just kind of like with his head in his hands. And he's like, how the heck did I find myself in this position with the weight of the world on my shoulders? And when I thought about this image, especially when I started to kind of do my little research through this interesting individual named Peter, who was the disciple of Jesus, I kind of had the same kind of image. Because Peter was, you know, you know F, uh, Truman was this haberdasher from Kansas City. Uh, Peter was a fisherman from Bethsaida. He wasn't poor. A lot of people think because he was a fisher, he was poor. He wasn't poor, but he wasn't a religious cleric or this like advanced academic. He was just a dude who happens to meet the son of God and the son of God died. And then he came back to life and then he Kind of beamed off to heaven, but before he left, he was like, "Peter, you're the man. You, you're the rock, and I'm gonna build my whole church around you. Uh, you and your friends are gonna have to take care of this. I've got an appointment upstairs, and uh, he zoomed off to heaven. And I imagine Peter had like at least one of these moments. It's not biblical. It's all it's all conjecture, but I'm imagining Peter had at least one of these moments where he's like this brief moment of isolation. And he like kind of <laughs> buries his head in his hands, and he's like, how did I find myself in this position where I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders? I think what's interesting about Peter, and really <laughs> what's interesting about everyone in the Scriptures, is that they're people. I, I think that a lot of us, especially those of us who were raised in maybe this like very VBS leaning, very like awana leaning like um Christianity, we tend to look at all of these figures in the Bible like they're these one dimensional cartoon characters and they're not people with the same kind of flesh, blood, uh, uh, stressors, anxieties, uh, stories, backgrounds, jobs, families, cultures, all the things that make us people made them people as well. And I think that the first thing we have to do when we try to crack into Peter is recognize that as, as many quirky things as Peter does have to him, and we'll, we'll get to those, trust me, at the end of the day, he was just as person as all of the disciples were as all of the early participants of the church were like they were people and they were imperfect in a lot of ways and struggled in a lot of ways, but were also really blessed by God in a lot of ways. And we get to see the growth of Peter in a lot of ways too. So, there's a few questions I want to answer when we, when we kind of dive into this here. The first one is, uh, who was Peter? Which, you know, we'll do a run through. Um, second is, you know, last week Andy had the whole like, what do we do with the Johns of the church? Not the me's, the, the Apostle Johns. Um, and, and so I want to ask a similar question. What do we do with the, the Peter-esque, the, long, the young little Peterlings that we see in the church today? And then what does, what does Christ do with these, these young Peters, these little Petery Christians? So let's give it a shot. So uh, the first thing I want to do is uh, a couple weeks ago, if you were here, I broke every rule in Mission Canon, and I did a call and response. I asked a question to the crowd, and I asked people to yell back answers at me. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. The last one was a solid 5 out of 10. You guys can do better. So we're going to be louder, more clear, and just more. I want more answers. So all I'm going to ask is, uh, when you guys think of Peter, what's like the first thing, story, statement, whatever, that comes to mind for you? What do you got? Walking Walking on the water. Thank you. Excellent answer. Walking on the water. That's really good. That's a very... Very, uh, very good one. It made me think of Oceans, the song by Hillsong, but Mike declined to sing it today. Um, all right, another story. What else? Say oh, my gosh. You just wrote my whole my, sermon for me, Carl. Not knowing what to say and saying it anyways. Great. Great answer. All right, give me one more. One more. What's that? Cutting off the ear. Man, you want at least one Peter in your group. You want at least one Peter. Because Peter had that loyalty, man. He came He came ready. It was bad, though. Jesus told him it was bad. Um, but yes. What were you going to say, Tabitha? Denying Jesus. Oof, that's the rough one. We'll get to that, too. Great answers, guys. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. Um, yeah. Like, we see... like. Uh, Peter Peter was the disciple that we hear the most about throughout the the Gospels. We we know of other disciples like, you know, Thomas, Andrew. We know some things about them. Oh, so-and-so was a tax collector. So-and-so may have been a political terrorist against Rome. But, like, we know a lot more about Peter. One, because Peter just talks a lot. He just doesn't stop talking sometimes. And so I'm going to try and, like, formulate this, like, this like person based off of these isolated incidents that we get of Peter. And I want to just like disclaimer right now that I'm not trying to speak with like biblical authority and saying Peter was probably really loud and outspoken because maybe these were the only times in his life he ever did it. And they just happened to get written down in the Bible. I don't want to like make this authoritative stance, but it, it's conjecture, but I think it's going to be helpful nevertheless. And so I, I have a few thoughts. Many of them reflect what you guys have already kind of shared. With me, but the first one, yeah, I think Peter was a very outspoken guy. <laughs> I think he probably interrupted in conversation a lot. I think Jesus would probably start saying something and Peter would cut him off like he already knew what he was going to say. That would, that would drive me crazy. Oh, my gosh. I think Peter was a pretty, was a pretty outspoken guy. And, and we, we have some examples of this. We, we know that sometimes Peter was very quick to speak, and he was right on the mark. And it was great. Like the, the example that we, that we read from earlier from Matthew 16, Jesus asks the disciples, well, who do you think that I am? The world thinks that I'm John the Baptist or Elijah or something, but who do you think that I am? I imagine like three of the disciples were about to say something, but Peter was like, we, we think you're the Messiah. We think you're the son of God. And he was right. And he received a, a blessing. He was blessed for, for affirming who Jesus truly was. That was a wonderful thing. But then we have literally just a few verses later in the same chapter, Jesus says, hey, guys, I want to let you know, even though I've told you before, didn't seem to stick the last time, I'm going to die soon and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be resurrected. So it's going to be cool. It's going to be a bummer for a bit, but it's going to be cool. Um, Paraphrase. Jesus didn't say exactly that. And Peter said, uh, Peter, it says Peter took Jesus aside. Like, he didn't just say, uh, Jesus, I'm not really sure I buy that. He like, Jesus, I think I think you're crazy. All right. You're totally wrong. He, he, he was bold enough and outspoken enough to challenge the son of God. Even after affirming that he was the son of God, Peter was a brash and probably pretty loud dude. Um, next I think, I think Peter struggled with feeling unworthy. I mean, I, I think anyone would struggle with feeling unworthy when you're called the rock of the church. Um, but, I mean, we see an example of that with the story of the, of the feet washing, right? Like, Jesus is, 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 you know, cleansing the disciples. He's washing their feet. It's, it's a very important thing. There's, there's a literal humility to it, but there's also a great symbolism to it as well. And Peter's like, you're not going to wash my feet. I'm going to wash your feet. And Jesus, once again, gives him that rebuke. Peter, if I can't wash your feet, then we can't hang out. Like, you can't even follow me. You're not listening. So I think Peter struggled, again, with talking too much. And just I think he struggled with feeling like he, he wasn't worth what Jesus was trying to offer him. I think Peter was likely the kind of dude, and we probably all know people like this, maybe even it's the person that you know most intimately. Wait, not me, like yourself. I was going to say like your, your reflection. Um, I think Peter was the kind of guy who would be very loud and had this like braggadocio and like confidence and brashness because I think secretly he was probably really insecure and I think he even maybe struggled with like fear or maybe even anxiety. Uh, some of the commentaries that I read or at least one in particular that I can think of commented that despite Peter's fierce loyalty and confidence, he was often overcome by his own fears, often fears of men, fears of people. The people are asking him, do you know that guy who just got arrested? Do you, you know that guy who got arrested? Like that guy about to get crucified, do you know that guy? No, mm, I don't know him. Three times. I think, I, I think there was some fear of like, oh man, there could be some repercussion, but I think he was afraid because it was a crowd, and they were going to judge him if he said the wrong thing. We even see another story, this is outside of the Gospels, but still relevant, where Peter uh, was, was getting tr- was, well, Peter was being criticized by Paul because Peter w- wouldn't hang out with the Gentile Christians. And it literally says, he, because he feared those of the circumcision, He feared the, the, the opinions of the Jewish Christians. Because there was still some conflict about what it meant to be a Christian if you were a Jew or if you were a Gentile or yada yada. And so the Gentiles and the Jews really didn't, didn't click just yet. And so Peter, discovering this, realized, I can't really kick it with the Gentiles because these, these other guys are going to think less of me. So I think, I think Peter was afraid of what other people thought of him. I think he was afraid of the, the opinion of others. So, and, and we, we can go on and on about his flaws. I think we all know he had flaws. But in spite of his many flaws, we also know that Peter was a very firmly devout believer. We do believe that he was fiercely loyal. Like, like Ray mentioned, he did cut that dude's ear off when they were trying to arrest Jesus. He got criticized for it. He wasn't supposed to. But I think that's a pretty good sign that he was like, no one's going to touch Jesus when I'm around. He didn't realize that that was kind of part of the plan, but this was his loyalty that he had. Peter was also, I mean, again, he, he affirmed the, the goodness of, of, and the, the divinity of Jesus on several occasions he was able to walk on the water even if he started to slip after that. He, he was this individual who showed great faith and great trust and great esteem for our Savior. I think one of the most interesting places to look for Peter's like true character or maybe his refined character after years of, of believing is in the books that he wrote in First in and 2 Peter. These are two letters, two epistles in the New Testament that we know that Peter wrote and what does Peter talk about in these? He, he talks about encouraging believers who are in the face of persecution and suffering. He talks about, but he, he's boldly preaching the gospel. He's speaking very highly of Jesus, speaking very highly of the Messiah and he speaks almost with this like tenderness like when he thinks of Jesus's return for him this it isn't this like world ending like sky is spiraling and the clouds are turning purple for him he looked forward to the day of the lord cuz he got to see his friend again like i think peter had a very tender love for Jesus, and I think we saw that evidently. So oftentimes, like I've said before, we, we tend to see Peter as this like Steve Urkel of the faith, like just kind of like, you know, he's admirable, and like he's kind of like likable, but he's, he just makes so many dumb mistakes. You'd never invite him to your house, especially if you had fine china out. He'd drop it all over the floor. Like, but there's still this like really incredible story that we can see about Peter um, this story of redemption, and I and I want to get into that more more near the end. So that's like my you know rough take of who's Peter, and I, I hope that kind of by going through his list of attributes, both positive and negative, some of you were able to kind of reflect and be like, okay, I kind of kind of see that. I can think of some 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 Peteresque individuals, or I can see some you know Peterosity within myself maybe. Um, and so that leads us to our second question: what? What, what does the church have to do with Peter? What, what, what place does Peter have in our types of communities? I think that what we see in Peter, first and foremost, is every believer, right? We see someone who's conflicted. We see someone who struggles with sin. We see someone who has, you know, who, who is um, prone to wander, right? But also someone who is... Redeemed by the, the great love that Jesus has given him. So I think that first and foremost, like I, I think of Peter and like people, and we have to remember first and foremost that not only was Peter redeemable by his traits, he was very, very loved by Jesus. Jesus loved the heck out of Peter. And so again, I, I think of these, these peterific traits, these peterly characteristics of people. And I have to say, like, Andy was honest with you guys last week when he said he didn't like the Johns, which I knew what he meant. Um, but, but, but Andy made the points about like, oh, how, you know, the disciple John was, you know, he just got everything right away and he had this spiritual, you know, superiority complex and he was super chill all the time. And Andy was like, these people drive me crazy. And I get it. I, I'm going to be honest, too. I, people like Peter would drive me crazy. Like they would, they, 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 uh, they, they speak before they actually know what they're talking about. They interrupt, they're loud, they're outspoken. These people drive me absolutely bonkers. (laughs) People like this, if I could, I would probably limit my interactions with as much as possible. Like that's just me and my like, like natural proclivity. But again, we have to anchor that in Jesus dearly loved and saw Peter not just as this like, um, like liability to the faith, but he said, I'm actually going to build the whole church around you, flaws and all. And there's something incredible about that. Like we, we talk about, you know, this idea of diversity and unity that, 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 the, that the Christian church is built of all of these bricks and all of these people who look so different and not just like, oh yeah, you've got, you know, people of this ethnicity and this nationality and this cultural background. I think what that literally means is you have people like John who are soft-spoken, you know, the, the, the spiritual truths just kind of like fall on their head like rain and they're just like, oh, thank you, Father. And then you've got Peter's who were like getting called Satan by Jesus because they just say dumb things sometimes. And yet Peter has this incredible, incredible place in the church. And I think that we ought to recognize that this is a valuable person to have around. Peter would have been a valuable person to have around sometimes boldness gives you the type of strength and ability to speak where others, where the Johns, not me, but like the the others may not be as bold to speak. We see in the third chapter of Acts, Peter gives this incredible, like blistering sermon to all the people around the temple, mostly Jewish people. And it's one of the best sermons in the New Testament. And we see hundreds of people coming to the faith through it. And he was not soft and he was not pulling punches in that sermon. We can see that God was able to use that boldness, maybe that even outspokenness to deliver the gospel to those who really need it and in a way that they would hear it. And so it's important that even when we see these people, these, these, these uh, Peter disciples, <laughs> that we can still see that God, God is very, very capable of using them. They absolutely have a place in the church and we should not, Withhold our love from them because Jesus does not withhold his love from them. And Peter was still in need of correction. Well, I mentioned the story about him and the Gentiles and him, you know, I can't hang out with the Gentiles because my my buddies over here are going to think that I'm a sellout. Well, he got called out for that. Like it's in the Bible that he again, post ascension, still had to get checked sometimes but it wasn't a thing like Peter's screwing up and we're going to cast this dude out. This wasn't some like cancellation of Peter's role and impact and influence. It was a readjustment. It was a recalibration just as Jesus. When Peter started to sink under the waters had to call Peter's gaze back to his, that was the role of Paul to fix his gaze as he was sinking into doing something dumb and divisive and to fix that gaze back on Christ that he would be corrected. And that's the role of all of us. That's the role of all of us when it comes to to correcting and loving the people in the church, even when they're doing something potentially harmful or caustic to themselves or to the body. It's not about chopping off limbs. It's about redirecting that gaze back towards Christ so that they could be restored. That's the beauty behind it. And so that leads us to our last question. Well, how does Christ deal with the Petery figures in the world? Um, I love the story of Peter. Being able to study it has given me like this incredible new appreciation for not just who Peter was, but kind of like, like if there was a book of Peter that was just his story as a disciple from beginning to end, or at least ending it at the ascension of Jesus, it's a beautiful story. It's like, it's an incredible story. When we see Peter right before Jesus was about to get arrested we would assume the story of Peter was a tragedy. At the very beginning of the, of the gospels, Peter was, as we said, a fisherman. He was fishing. And Peter, and, and Jesus calls him. He calls him out. He says, follow me. And so now all this time later, like the climax of the story is like building up and like the world is shaking in anticipation of what's about to happen. And, and they're talking about Judas and Peter's like, oh, I'll, I would never do anything like that. You say people are going to fall away. Jesus, I would never fall away. I would never leave you. I would never do anything wrong. I, I, I got your back, man. Come on. I'm your disciple. And Jesus just kind of like, actually, before morning comes, before the rooster crows, you're going to have three chances not to deny me, and you're going to fail every time. And I can't imagine how Peter would have responded to that. I bet you he was probably like, Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. Which I'm sure was a thought that he pretty frequently had. Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. And so the arrest happens, and all the disciples freak out, and they run. And you know, you guys know the story. Peter's in the courtyard. Hey, you know that guy? You know that guy who's up there getting crucified? No, I don't know that guy. Like, continues to happen. No, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. Three times. And then the rooster crows. And I think it was... I don't remember which gospel said this, but it just like, it's just like, it's like an arrow in my chest when I read this. It says that he heard the rooster crow and he remembered what Jesus had said and then he went out and he wept bitterly. Like, oh man. Like he just did everything he said he wasn't gonna do. But also, he didn't just do what Jesus said he would do. What he did was he denied the same dude he called the Son of God, the same dude he called the Savior of the world, prophesied from the Old Testament. He just told a bunch of people he didn't know him, and he ran off. Peter never saw Jesus again before he was crucified. Peter thought that was the end for him. And we see in John, I mean, obviously we know that Jesus didn't, die and stay buried. He was resurrected. And so he got up three days later. And in the book of John, it has this really, really wonderful account where Peter's fishing and he's with a few of the other disciples and Jesus appears to them kind of on the coast and Peter freaks out and he like, you know, goes over to see Jesus. And it said that like Jesus said, you know, bring in your fish. Let's have breakfast together, which man, just having breakfast with resurrected Jesus That's like, it's got to be on everybody's bucket list, right? Like, just having some fish on the beach, you know, water at your toes, chatting it up with Jesus. Sounds great. And then after that, Jesus took Peter aside and he asked him, you know, many of you guys know this story. He asked him three times. He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, yeah, I do. He said, no, but do you love me? Yeah, 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 I do. Do you love me, Peter? He said, He said, Jesus, you know everything. Like, I do. Like, you don't have to keep asking. I, I promise, I do. And then Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Which I thought was beautiful. Because what started at a fisherman's boat, when, G- when Peter was three years younger, and, and Jesus found this dude and said, follow me. Now, three years later, they're back in the boat. They're fishing again. And then Jesus is saying the same thing to Peter, not to call him this time, but to restore him. He said, follow me. And, and Peter did. And like, this is such an incredible story of restoration. Restoration. This is such an incredible story. Like like when I read this, I think of just like this, this circle that has like a few arrows in it, where it's like following Jesus, drifting away, turning from Jesus, Jesus confronting us, repentance, restoration, just the continuous cycle of what it's like to be a believer. That yes, we do struggle away, that yes, we do fall away at times, but there's always that restoration. And the thing I thought of that was beautiful was that Peter didn't need to say, I love you, Jesus, for for, for Jesus to restore him because Jesus already died on the cross. The sin that he, 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 he had committed against him was already forgiven. Peter was already trusting and faithful in Jesus and Jesus restored him even though his sin was egregious. I've heard the comparison that like the, the sins of Judas and Peter are, are really not so different. They both entail this like form of betrayal and abandonment. But Peter was, 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 was restored. Peter was, was confronted by Jesus and, was, and, and said, do you love me? Do you actually love me? And he And he responded with faith, probably still feeling the same unworthiness and doubt and sin and everything else in his heart that he knew should disqualify him. But he responded with faith and he was restored. And that's a beautiful thing. And what I love is that when Jesus says, when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? One of the things Jesus says to him is feed my sheep, like feed my sheep, take care of my church, take care of these people. And it's beautiful in, in 1 Peter, I think it's in the fifth chapter. This is one thing that Peter's writing to the churches there. Shepherd your flock, take care of your people. He's taking these words that he got from Jesus. And like, like, like an old friend had told him, these like words of wisdom that stirred around in his heart, he was transferring that same wisdom to these new people who hadn't heard it yet. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. The story of Peter is the story of everybody who struggles with really anything, but we can say specifically with being overly confident or brash or talking when you just need to. Mm, or or those who are obnoxious or maybe even those who talk a little bit too much game and can't back it up. Or the dudes who have so much game that they're swinging knives around and cutting ears off. Like the story of Peter is Your story too. But I would say the story of Peter is the story of all of us. It's the story of those who weren't worthy of grace. The story of those who even when given goodness and opportunity, were still so prone to turning away that even when we saw the face of God in front of us, we could still turn. And yet Jesus is restoring and Jesus is forgiving and Jesus is bringing back and it's, it's not so that Peter can just, you know, go back to fishing. Oh, thanks, Jesus. Like he's not, when he has this conversation with Jesus, he's not thinking about the 30-pound bass he's going to catch later that day. He's thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm going to feed the sheep. I'm going to live out this love that Jesus has called me to. He has to carry a cross. He has a cross to carry in response to the love that he has for Jesus. And each of us do as well. But it's a cross that we can carry, even though it's heavy. It's a cross that we are gifted to carry. And it's one that he blesses us with the strength to endure. I think the story of Peter is all of our story, because ultimately the story of Peter is the story of Jesus. That's what I love about Peter. Peter says, don't wash my feet, Jesus. Just dumb and obstinate. You know how the story ends? Jesus still washes his feet. Jesus says, all right, keep your eyes on me and you won't sink and drown. Starts to sink and drown. How does that story end though? Jesus still saves him. And then right after Jesus called Peter Satan for rejecting his, his, his statement that he was going to die and be resurrected, Jesus took him up to the mountain for the transfiguration. Like, right after like he had committed this horrible sin of telling the son of god you're a liar jesus took him up and he literally physically showed peter his glory and so this is what promise we have as well we we see that jesus is washing us clean we see that jesus is rescuing us from the death that sin um, it endangers us with, we see that Jesus is showing us his glory even when we've lost sight of his goodness. And he shows us that we are still dearly loved. He invites us to follow him. Like I said, Peter's cross that he had to bear was, you know, a figurative one, but one day it was a literal one. He would work within the church in Rome for, for you know, I'm actually not sure when he died, but I would imagine probably a couple more decades. He would work in the church, toiling through persecution and just through the natural bumps and bruises of being the first churches in the world. And then when the persecution came, he was crucified upside down and he died. But Peter, though the cross that he had to bear was a heavy one, he was delivered into glory, the same glory that Jesus had revealed to him. And Jesus told Peter way back in the whole, like, upon this rock, I will build my church. I love that passage, but I love the one that comes right after. And the gates of hell will not overcome them. What a crazy thing. See, here's the thing. I, I, I think that the call of rock was specific to Peter. But I think when he promised that the church would not be overcome by even the most devastating powers of the gates of hell, that was a promise for all of us. That was a promise that none of us would be overcome by anything. Our own sin, death, suffering, destruction, doubt, evil, spiritual forces. Just that mustard seed of faith. And he would always protect us. And so, I think one of the probably the best ways we can respond to this is how we're going to, which is through uh, meeting at the Lord's table. We, um, like I said, th- this, this is not the story of Peter so much as it is the story of how Jesus was revealing himself to all of humanity through this one dumb dude who was wonderful, who I'm so grateful for everything that he did to influence the early church. And so in this act of the Lord's Supper, we get to physically, literally remember this this embodiment of the blood that Jesus allowed to be shed and his own body that he allowed to be broken. So that all of the things, all of the restoration, all of the reconciliation, all of the making good what was once bad that the gospel would bring is found in the goodness of the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to go there. But for now, before we go into that, we're going, we're going to have a brief time of confession. Um, like I said, this is kind of the part of our liturgy. This is the part that, again, we're not trying to observe. We're trying to, we're trying to be participants of this. This is a time when we can like, take some silence. We can reflect. We can pray on things that have been deep and maybe painful in our hearts, things that we have to repent over, or maybe just things we have to connect with God about that we, we, we've been neglecting so far this week. We'll spend, I'll, I'll pray for us, we'll have two minutes of confession, and then we'll go into the Lord's Supper. Um, and just for logistical reasons, um, if we could line up this way, just through this aisle, so that we're not all congested, and then uh, I'll administer it for you. So, let me pray. Father God, we thank you for, we thank you for Peter. You do. Um, it's, it's funny to uh, kind of rag on him, and we, and we know that he was an imperfect dude, but honestly, God, I'm, I'm glad that he was imperfect. I'm glad that he wasn't the kind of person who um, would be intimidating to think, oh, shoot, like, this is what the followers of Jesus look like. They're just these shiny, purified, you know, untouchable superstars, like, I'm glad that I can look at the flaws of your people and say, yeah, I get that. I get that. I see that. And it's more beautiful in Peter. Cause we can see how you were smoothing over these rough edges over time and into his, uh, into his later years. So father, I pray that we would, uh, we would reflect ourselves. We would consider ourselves. We would ask of the cross that we are called by you to carry. We would ask if Maybe we have denied you in some way, maybe not verbally, but maybe in our hearts that we need to be restored over. And the beauty of it is not that we need to beg for forgiveness from some uh, tyrannical tyrant, but we can ask for forgiveness from a loving God who freely gives it. So help us to confess, help us to just speak to you right now, Jesus.